0: Our scripture reading today is found in Joshua 14. These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan. But the Levites, have, he had gave no inheritance among them. For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And no portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in, with their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. They allotted the land. and the, and then the lord people of judah came to joshua of gilgal and the people Caleb the jephnan the kenizzite said to him you know what the lord said to moses the man of the god the Kadesh Barnia concerning you and me i was 45 years old old when Moses the servant the sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land and I brought him the word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely that land which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said, these forty-five years since the time that the Lord spoke this word, and now Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am this day eighty-five years old, and I am still strong as today, as. It, I was in the day that Moses sent me and my strength is now as my strength was then for war and for going and coming so now give me the hill country of which and the Lord of Anakim were there for great for fitted cities and I may come that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just
1: as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh.
2: Thank you so much, girls. You did such a wonderful job to hear God's word coming out of your mouths. Morning, Lake Baldwin Church. Would you join me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, our hearts are broken once again this morning as we've witnessed the brutal beating of a man made in your dear image. And our hearts grieve for the loss of this man and for his family and friends. O Lord, comfort and bring healing to those who are grieving this morning. But we are reminded that though it may seem that the darkness is winning, it is not. Your dear son has overcome the darkness having been beaten and killed himself. Evil is not winning. Your kingdom is advancing and you will restore all things including justice and righteousness and so we wait upon you, Lord Jesus. Until that day, may all our hope be in you. And this morning, would you open our eyes and soften our hearts to hear your word that we may leave here this morning changed by you, and may you grant us renewed faith, repentance for our sins, and may our hearts see and savor more of Jesus, and may it cause us to worship him even more and more. We pray this in his precious name, amen. Well, if you are an endurance athlete, if you run, if you bike, or you swim, you probably know about this uh, competition. It's called the Ironman Triathlon, and they hold their world championship every year in Hawaii. Maybe you've seen that on TV. Now, this triathlon is composed of a 2.4-mile swim, followed by 112 miles of biking, And if that's not enough for you, they cap it off with a full-blown marathon, 26.2 miles of running. And of course, not anyone can go to that world championship in Hawaii. You've got to qualify for it. You've got to train and qualify for it. You've got to actually be able to complete it in less than 17 hours. And uh, Hiromu Inada, you may not know him, He holds the world record for being the oldest athlete to actually complete the Ironman triathlon. He did it in 16 hours and 53 minutes, just under that 17-hour mark, and he did it when he was 85 years of age. Now, when he was uh, 82, uh, he first qualified and went to the championships, and this is when he actually became famous. He became famous because he actually failed to complete the race you want to know how close he got he got within five seconds he missed it by five seconds now, you and me, I mean, if I was 82 years of age and I, and I missed it by five seconds, I'm not sure I could actually recover from that, but he went on the next year to actually set the record. He completed it in less than 17 hours, and then, the, and then two years later, when he was 87, he broke the record again, his own record, uh, when he was 85, actually, and he completed it in 16 hours and 53 minutes. And san, he is a picture of Grit stamina, spunk even, uh, endurance. Uh, He's a great example and inspiration for all of us this morning. As we look at chapter 14 uh, in Joshua, we're going to see another 85-year-old, another senior citizen uh, who manifests his faith in a variety of ways. And I'm going to give you three ways that we're going to unpack this morning. First, his faith is going to be manifested by his obedience, And then we're going to look at his stamina and his spunk. And then we're going to close by looking at his humility. And I'm going to remind you that we're in this section of Joshua, these many chapters where conquest is basically done. The battle, the war is done, but some battles are going to remain. But we're basically in the section where uh, we're doling out the land, the inheritances, And that's what's happening in chapter 14. Caleb is coming with the clan of Judah to receive their inheritance of the land. And so I want to jump into that very first point, Caleb's obedience. In verses 6 through 9 and 14, I'm going to read it again. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, you know... What the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God." And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And then in verse 14 it says, Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel." And so you see in the passage, if you didn't pick up on it, three times emphasize for us that Caleb wholly followed the Lord his God. Three times. And he's referring to when he says to Joshua, you know, you know, he's referring to an episode that we've talked about before. This is the episode in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 of the spies going into the land. Now this, just to recap really quickly, this is before Israel is in the promised land. They're being led by Moses, and Moses sends 12 spies out into the land, among them Joshua and Caleb. And they're going to bring back two reports, a majority report and a minority report. Ten of the spies would bring back the majority report that says this, yes, the land, it's a great land. It's a wonderful land, milk and honey, but we saw the Anakim there. We saw the incredible hulks of Canaan in the land, and we feared. We are as grasshoppers in their sight. That's what it would say. And what would this majority do? They would incite a rebellion against Moses. They would seek to stone Joshua and Caleb. They would seek to lead the people all the way back to Egypt. And this is what Joshua and Caleb say. This is how they respond in Numbers chapter 14. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones." And you see here that Joshua and Caleb, they're following the Lord because of what the Lord had said to him. They're following the Lord because of his word. And so obedience is following God as he has revealed himself in his word to his people. Caleb, the basis of his faith is is based on hearing what God has said to him. It's not based on his feelings about the situation. It's not based upon his circumstances he's going through. His faith is based on the word of God. Obedience is therefore listening and obeying to God as he has revealed himself, but it's also following the Lord even when it is unpopular. Again, they brought the minority report. Two out of ten. But in Numbers chapter 14, we learn that the entire nation is going to go against Joshua and Caleb. So talk about peer pressure. I'm wondering if you've ever been in a circumstance yourself where you have held an unpopular position. If you have, you probably know a little bit about what Caleb was feeling on that day. Young people, you're growing up in a hostile culture. If you are following the Lord this morning, if you are living by his word, you're going to have an unpopular position. Especially in the areas of sexuality, you're going to have an unpopular position. And actually, for the rest of us, you don't even have to be young today. Christianity and being a Christian is actually becoming something that's negative Aaron Wren, the author and co-founder at the American Reformer, he describes this rapid change that has happened in our society. And I've seen this in my life because he says it started in 1994. Before 1994, Christianity uh, was viewed by society as something positive. It was an asset. So if you were a Christian, that was something Good for society. And then after 1994, up until, he says, about 2014, ah, Christianity is something neutral for American society. But now, being a Christian is viewed by society as being something negative. This is what he says. The quote is there on the screen. Society has come to have a negative view of Christianity. Christian morality is expressly repudiated. It's seen as a threat to the public good and to the new Public moral order. He goes on in this article to talk about a fourth phase. And that fourth phase coming for America, he thinks, is the phase of outright persecution for Christians. Maybe we're seeing a little bit of that play out in the public arena today. And so obedience is following God as He's revealed Himself in His Word. It's following God when it is unpopular. It's also following God when it is costly, and we see that in that Numbers account where the nation, they wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb with stones. It may cost you something to have faith in Christ. Caleb and Joshua, they would lose reputation. They would would have to be among a generation which God said he's going to destroy all of them. I'm sure they weren't the most popular guys in the camp And so following the Lord wholly will cost you something. It may cost you family members. It may cost you your friends, your reputation. Some of you know what it's like at the workplace. Uh, You've lost money. You've lost accounts. You've lost promotions because of your obedience to the Lord. Hear what the Apostle Paul says about this. In Philippians chapter 3, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul, when he came to Christ, when he became a Christian, he lost his reputation. He lost his status. He lost his position as a Pharisee. And this is how he looks at that. This is the lens with which he looks at it. That's, all that stuff is nothing comparing to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. All of that stuff is garbage compared to gaining Christ. And so do you view all of your gains in that same way? Are you comforted to know that knowing Christ and gaining Christ surpasses everything that you can ever have and so we see in this first section that Caleb's faith it's manifested by whole obedience following the Lord and it's manifested itself by following him as he's revealed in his word even though it is costly even though it is unpopular and we'll look now at the second point which is Caleb's stamina and his spunk in verses 10 and 12 And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and for coming So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord has said. I want you to see first his stamina, right? He's 85 years of age and his faith and his strength have endured this whole time. Meaning 45 years later, he's been wandering around in the wilderness, going nowhere. He's endured years of war and of battle. And he's saying, I'm still just as vigorous as before. And I would say his strength is just as vigorous as before. Why? Because in verse 12, he's pointing to... The promise of God God is going to drive them out and so 45 years later Caleb is standing on the promises of God still still holding on to the promise of God now this type of physical stamina this type of spiritual endurance of 45 years it doesn't just happen by accident it doesn't just magically appear. He didn't just start investing when he was 80 years old. It's, 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 you know, you think back to Inada-san, Hiromu Anada. He didn't just start right then. He had to invest into it to get to that point. And so the question for us is, how are we investing our lives? A lot of you are not 85 yet, but I'm sure you wish you can get to 85 and say, I'm just as strong then as I am right now. And I want to be strong in my faith. I want to see that my faith endures. How can Caleb at 85 have such stamina and spunk in his faith? Well, it would be because of the Lord himself. Let's look at his spunk. We see this in verse 12. And he says, and I love how he does this. This is probably my favorite part of this passage. Give me this hill country of which the Lord has spoken, this hill country where the Anakim are. You see what he's saying there? He had gone to Hebron before, walked in the land, he saw these giants, and now 45 years later he's saying, I want to be the guy to go in there to take that land. He doesn't want to leave it to someone else. You know, you would think a senior citizen would say, let the younger guys do this. No, I want to do this. When, uh, several years ago, we had a dog, a beagle, her name was Abby. And we had a back door to our house. It uh, had a huge uh, glass pane in it. And every time Abby would see a squirrel, she would be at that back door, pressed firmly against it. And uh, you would see her body would be shaking. And she would be whimpering. And, and then all of a sudden, she would burst out howling. She couldn't contain herself because she wanted to get at that squirrel. But imagine this. If there was a bear in the backyard... If Abby had that same response, that's what we're talking about when we're looking at Caleb today. He is like a dog straining at the leash. Let me Adam. him. Let me Adam. No hint of doubt, no hint of fear. He's got a lot of spunk for an 85-year-old. It's amazing. It's amazing. And the source of his stamina and his spunk would be the Lord. The passage itself tells us this. He says in verse 10 that the Lord is the one who kept me alive. So the Lord is the one who sustained him that 45 years. If you are here this morning, you are alive because God is keeping you alive. He holds all things together. The breath that you have in your very lungs is the breath that he is filling your lungs with. You are enduring because God is causing you to endure. And then what about his spunk he is citing in verse 12, just as the Lord said, just as the Lord said. So his stamina and spunk, they're not apart from the grace of God that God had already given him. And so we see faith manifested in obedience. We see faith manifested in stamina and spunk. And then we see Caleb's humility in verse 12. I'm going to read it again. See if you catch his humility here. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. It may be that the Lord will be with me. He's not being presumptuous, is he? Caleb is not saying, let me at them, I'm gonna go in there and crush them myself. He's not saying that it may be See, God had promised to give him the land, but God didn't promise the means by which he would accomplish that. So Caleb is not going to dictate to God that he is gonna be the one that's gonna accomplish it. If you remember from prior episodes of battle, God threw down hailstones, right? So Caleb is not gonna presume the means by which God is gonna accomplish the task. God is sovereign, he can do it however he Once, If you read chapter 15, you're going to actually see that God would delight to use Caleb to take Hebron. But this is is not presumption, this is not arrogance, this is not doubtful language because he's standing on God's promises. And we see in Caleb someone who is humbly confident before God, but he's not cocky about it. C.S. Lewis would say this, He says that the first step on the path to humility is to realize that we do not have it. And that's too big a step for most of us. Some of you know the name Richard Baxter. He was a famous pastor in the 1600s, a famous author actually too. Very prolific. This is what he would say. I was but a pen in God's hands. And what praise is due a pen. See, we are just instruments in God's hands. And at our very best, we are just broken instruments. And true humility comes when we realize who actually is doing the work. Caleb realizes God is doing the work through me. And when we realize who is doing the work, it actually can give us confidence. Right? Humility and confidence at the same time. Humility because we're not doing the work, confidence because God is the one that's doing the work through us. Humility comes when we encounter the living God and see things from his perspective, who we are, who he is. Now, I'm sure if we were to get a chance to have Caleb here today and and interview him and ask him about what's going on here and ask him after he takes Hebron, he's not going to be pointing to his obedience. He's not going to be pointing to his stamina. He's not going to be pointing to the fact that he's spunky. He's going to be pointing to the fact that God is great. Look at what he did through me. Lake Baldwin Church is filled with movers and Shakers, and I hope you realize this morning everything you've accomplished, everything you have comes from the Lord. You have not anything in your possession that He hasn't first already given to you. It is grace. It is grace. Well, our passage this morning in chapter 14, it establishes Caleb as as an exemplary. Example, wonderful example of faith in God and his promises. Faith that's manifested in this obedience, stamina, spunk, confident, humility. But we need to realize that all of the characters in the Bible, all the people except for Christ himself, they're flawed individuals. And they're flawed individuals needing of God's grace, his favor towards them something that they're not earning, something that they don't deserve. And you may ask, well, how did Caleb receive the grace of God? I want to remind you a little bit about Caleb, where he came from, his ancestors. Caleb was an Israelite. He descended from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who would be Israel. God would covenant with these people. Of all the people on planet Earth, God would covenant with this set of people. And so Caleb, being an Israelite, being one of the clan of Judah, would be there how? Well, he was born into it. That's not something he worked at. That's not something he earned. He was born into being an Israelite and having the grace of God, which means that God promises to be God to Caleb and to Caleb's descendants. That's, that's favor. God is saying, I'm going to be God to you and your family Forever. And if he was an Israelite, he would also, we know with with Caleb, he would come out of Egypt. He would be brought miraculously out of Egypt, released from slavery. That's grace. He would go through the Red Sea crossing miraculously. That's grace. He would receive the manna in the wilderness. He would drink water from the rock. That's grace. Being an Israelite, he would receive God's law. He would receive the sacrament of circumcision and the Passover. That's all grace. That's all grace. Caleb is just receiving, receiving. He's not earning. He's not, he's not having to work for it. God is just laying this out for him. Grace upon grace. And I want you to leave here this morning being more impressed by the God God of Caleb's faith more than in Caleb himself. Be more impressed with the God of Caleb's faith than being impressed with Caleb. Be more impressed with the God who gives grace than Caleb's faith. Because grace always precedes faith. Caleb would have faith only because of God's grace and yes we can look at the example this morning and say wow it's an awesome it's a wonderful type of faith but his faith is great not because all of the great things that we talked about him this morning his faith is great because his faith the object of it is a great and awesome God a great and awesome God this is the aspect of Caleb's faith to imitate this morning not all those other things all those other things are wonderful, but you, if you have obedience, if you have spunk, if you have stamina, if you have humility, but you do not have Christ, well, you have nothing at all. And parents, if you're asking your kids to imitate Caleb this morning, to be like Caleb and, and you don't give them Christ, you've given them nothing. Nothing. You're just making a young Pharisee. The author of the Hebrews would say this without faith, it is impossible to please him. And he's talking about faith in Christ. You can't please God with your obedience, you can't please God with your stamina and your spunk and your humility. We are found pleasing in Christ. We are found pre- pleasing to God because we are in Christ rewind back to that spy episode and think about what was Caleb thinking what was he focused on he was not thinking about his own strength and abilities as a warrior to go into that land and kill those giants he was not looking at his resources he was looking to Christ he was looking to God and his promises whereas the other 10 spies they were looking at their circumstances they were looking at the giants And then when they saw the giants, when they saw their circumstances, they didn't look to God, they looked to their own strength, their own resources, and they said, well, we're just grasshoppers. They didn't have faith. Great faith is not achieved by trying harder in your faith. It's achieved by putting your focus on the Lord. Now, modern cameras have this wonderful technology built in. You, you, you may not know. It's called image stabilization. And what it does, it's got circuitry. It's got algorithms in there. And what it does, it constantly is refocusing on the image such that the image is super crisp, super clear. And it does this especially when conditions are, are hard and difficult. If you're a, fo- a photographer, you know these conditions. You know in low light... And in long distances, you got to keep things really still for very long. Well, that circuitry is always refocusing, always adjusting, accounting for all of these difficulties and refocusing on the object so that it is clear in focus, so that you can have a great picture. So if you want a great faith this morning, you're not to be trying harder in your faith. You're supposed to be refocusing your attention on the Lord. Keep looking to the Lord. Caleb would have faith ultimately in Christ even though he would not know him as such and you may wonder like how did he how did he know about Christ well the gospel was preached to Caleb in so many ways so many ways The manna that came down from heaven pointed to that ultimate manna that would come down from heaven that truly would feed and nourish and sustain us. That rock that provided water pointed to Christ, scripture says, the rock was Christ. Jesus says, if you drink from the water that I give you, you will never thirst. Caleb had the sacraments, we talked about that, he had circumcision, he had the Passover, And the New Testament says that that circumcision is the putting off of the flesh, the putting off of the sinful nature. It was pointing to the need to be cleansed. How would you be cleansed? Well, there would be a lamb, the Passover lamb, unblemished, and it pointed to Christ, the need for a substitute for our sins. Caleb would have the gospel preached to him He would have heard of one that would come from Eve who would crush the head of the serpent. He would hear that Father Abraham, in him one offspring would come who in him all the nations of the world would be blessed. Caleb would have the gospel over and over again and he would look in faith forward to God's provision in Christ. And so this morning I invite you to imitate the faith of Caleb By putting your trust, putting your focus, and looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Look to Jesus. He's the only one that does what we cannot do. He does what we don't deserve. He gives you what you can't earn, and it's this. To be reconciled in your relationship with God through his precious blood. Your sins fully paid for. You can stand forgiven, fully accepted in Christ before God. I invite you to imitate Caleb's faith this morning. Would you pray with me? Mighty God and Heavenly Father, you pour out grace upon your people over and over again. And surely this morning, as we sit here in the auditorium, you are pouring out grace on all of us Every one of us has been the recipient of your grace in many ways, too many to number. And Lord, let us not presume upon your grace. We give you great thanks that we can stand firmly upon your promises because of your grace in Christ Jesus. We give him praise, we give him glory this morning. It's in his name we pray, amen.